Osiris. This podcast is in the loop, the Legion of Osiris podcasts. What does that mean? Osiris is a community of great music and culture podcasts. If you like this one, go check out others at osirispod.com and get in the loop. Osiris is partnered with Relics Magazine at relics.com. Hey guys, it's Dave and Brian. Big news for our little podcast. Beyond the Pond is proud to be part of the Osiris podcasting family. Osiris is a growing community of music and culture podcasts, connecting music fans like you with conversation, commentary, and of course, lots of music. Check out OsirisPod.com for more great podcasts like Broke Down Podcast, The Bluest Tape, The Sound Podcast, and many more. You'll hear much more about Osiris and our sister podcasts in the coming weeks. But first, let's go beyond the pond. Folks, I'm David Goldstein, and I'm Brian Brinkman. You are tuned in to episode 27 of the Beyond the Pond podcast. This is the podcast which Brian and myself utilize the music of Fish to introduce the listener to other non-jam bands that we think that they might enjoy. Because we love Fish, we are Fish fans. But the problem with Fish fans is sometimes they get a little too deep into their heads and only listen to fish. There's a world of interesting, creative, awesome bands out there, and we love fish, but you guys, you listen to nothing but fish. You kind of become a bit boring at dinner parties, not as exciting on the city bus. We're here to do something about that. Yes, our podcast is here to teach you two things, about bands beyond fish and about how not to collude with Russia. No, definitely. Collusion with Russia is a very bad thing. If you've done it, we're sorry. The Cold War already happened. <laughs> Rocky, Rocky defeated Ivan Drago many, many, many years ago. <laughs> so here on episode 27, we are doing something uh, quite different, uh, quite different from past episodes, although still in the spirit of our past episodes and the overall formula with this, with this uh, podcast. Um, so we polled our audience members a couple weeks ago. You guys might remember this for jams that we thought you guys want to be interested in us covering. And we've taken a few of those jams and we're doing kind of mini deep dives and we've spun off into some sort of, uh, fish Pandora type playlist for you guys to listen to, uh, fish, Spotify radio, whatever it may be. Um, we've created, uh, kind of a method 
for everyone to uh, deep dive off a of fish into a bunch of new bands. And we think that you guys are going to really enjoy this. Because sometimes you'll be planning a dinner party. Sometimes you just won't know what bands to listen to. And you say, Pandora, take the wheel. And you enter your favorite band, the Pandora or Spotify radio, and a whole bunch of songs that generally you might enjoy will come up. You can give it thumbs up and thumbs down. So that's sort of what we elected to do with uh, four individual fish jams that we had not covered. And some of the themes that we're going to get out of this episode include mid-90s alt-rock shreddage, melodic bliss from the ether, wall of sonic terror, and laid-back staccato strut. And on that note, let's get to the fish. segment we're going to talk about a very popular and very special fish jam that was requested to us by matt burnham who you can find at the real burnham we're going to talk about the june 11th 1994 you enjoy myself from red rocks amphitheater in morrison colorado so why are we talking about this jam well this is really the archetypal version of you enjoy myself if you were to play any version of any fish song to an alien to inform them of who exactly this band is, the fish, it would be this version of Yam. I mean, really, Trey is on a mission from the conclusion of the drum and bass section to the vocal jam. And of note, the vocal jam directly segues into a very explosive version of Rift. Yeah, and as a show, I would say as well, this is like the ideal Saturday night special fish show. This feels like a greatest hits fish show to me, and I feel like for anybody who wants to get a sense of what fish is about, you give them this show, they know instantaneously. Um, of note as well, this show kicked off one of the greatest months in the band's entire existence. June 17th from Milwaukee to come with the OJ show, June 18th from Chicago, June 22nd, huge sprawling Mike song second set, June 26th from West Virginia, that's the Game Hoist show. 7-2 from Homedell. G-Sack. Yes. 7-6 from Montreal. Amazing Reba uh, in that show. One of my favorites. July 8th from uh, Great Woods. That's another Game Hen show in the tour. July 13th from Patterson, New York. That is a bizarre mashup second set. And Big finally, Birch. Find Big it. Big Birch. Unbelievable show. And July 16th, the tour closer. All of these are legendary shows. Um, all of these are shows you must hear at some point in time. And this You Enjoy Myself is the third song in the first set. This band is on a mission. I mean, six years earlier, they once drunkenly goofed on Red Rocks. Now, they are Red Rocks. Yeah. 
Okay. So we hope you uh, enjoyed that rather rather shreddy version of of uh, of you enjoying myself. So in putting together this little five song playlist, we were thinking about 1994. We were thinking about shredding, and we were sort of thinking about you know songs that happen to be like the song for a band, maybe something like different parts put together. So the first song that I came up to kick this off is Carry the Zero by Built to Spill, one of my favorite bands. They're still around today, still playing, but they definitely were at their best in the 90s. And um, Built to Spill, the frontman is Doug March. They're their endlessly touring kind of hairy band of uh, Pacific Northwest fudge merchants. And probably Carry the Zero is my favorite Built to Spill song. I think it's the best Built to Spill song off of the best built to spill album, which is 1999's Keep It Like a Secret. And in relation to the You Enjoy Myself, we like this one because it's epic, multifaceted, catchy, and cathartic. It's basically the built to spill song. It closes out their sets, and we kind of spun the rest of the playlist off of this one song. Brian, what's next? Up next, we got the song Rebound by the band Sebado. Uh, so this is 1994. Lou Barlow's low fuzzy pop band. This is his interlude uh, between him leaving Dinosaur Jr., which he would eventually reunite with. And this is off of his album, Bake, uh, Bake Sale. This song really is, uh, this is written when MTV's 120 Minutes could make any lo-fi indie rockers seem bigger than they actually were. And really, if you want to relay this back to Fish here, them playing Red Rocks this summer, 1994, they were a band that was trying to sound and be bigger than they actually were at the time, and it really would pay off dividends for the years to come. So um, excellent selection here. What do we have next, Dave? So we have the first part by Super Chunk. This is also a song from 1994. This band is comprised of Matt McCon, John Worcester, Laura Balance, and Jim Wilbur. They were a 1990s fuzzy college rock band from Chapel Hill, North Carolina that's still around today. Have an album coming out this Friday, actually. Uh, they're kind of the definition of college rock. Most of their songs are about topics like paying off student loans and breaking up with your college girlfriend. This jam is off the album Foolish, which also contains the mini hit Driveway to Driveway. This is another... MTV 120 Minutes hit that probably aired at the same time some Sebado videos aired. So, Super Chunk, the first part, which next brings us to... Dinosaur Jr.'s Start Chopping. Dinosaur Jr., mm. 1994, led by Jay Mascus, the mumblemouth grunge guitar god. This is a guy that enjoys golf, snowboarding, and mumble singing over torrents of guitar shred. Uh, aside from their late, from their faithful late '80s cover of the Cure's "Just Like Heaven," this song "Start Chopping" was probably the closest they came to a hit in the mid '90s, um, and is an excellent example of everything that Dinosaur Jr. stands for, and the reason why you should immediately go and listen to Dinosaur Jr.'s nearly uh, their entire discography. Excellent, excellent band that's still playing these today. Yes, and from the way Jay Maskus sings and talks, you'd be surprised if he doesn't that he evens open his eyes, but he does. <laughs> he just always sounds like he's stoned. And then finally, to round out the plays here, we have Your Favorite Thing by Sugar. And we've definitely talked about Bob Mould's Husker Dew before on this podcast. And Sugar, 
was Bob Mould's Pose Husker Du Foray into 90s alternative rock. This was the first single off of their second album, also from 1994. Just a example of a beaming, buoyant pop song full of uh, the guitar shred and excellent melody that Bob Mould is known for. So we're going to mash up that playlist for you right now.
right, hope that you enjoyed our Pandora playlist for segment one off of the June 11th, 94, You Enjoy Myself. So segment two brings us to fall of 1995, where we are covering Mike's song from November 21st, 1995 in Winston-Salem, North Carolina. And this jam was suggested to us by a listener uh, who goes by the handle Wolf Guitar. Uh, Wolf Guitar, we don't have your name, but if uh, that is your real name, it's badass. And if, and if not, it's not, then don't tell us. Don't tell us. We, 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 we are, are huge fans of that. Um, so thank you for the selection. This is actually a jam that uh, went way over my head. I had completely missed this somehow and uh, found this to be one of the most intriguing Mike songs I've been introduced to in recent years. Um, so why are we covering this jam, though, Dave? Well... Because it has a somewhat surprising mellow second jam that leads to an extended bliss jam that's unlike any mics either Brian or myself are like really aware of. Trey is incredibly patient throughout. He allows space. And then uh, certainly Paige takes on the leadership before inserting a very deliberate and beautiful lead solo. It almost kind of reminds me a lot of I Am Hydrogen. And certainly Paige's Baby Grant leads us out into the Always Welcome and Super Fall 95 Keyboard Army. And this jam kind of sounds like the best of late 2000s blissed out indie rock. Yeah, And this jam comes from a very solid no-nonsense show from this mammoth Fall 1995 tour. The first set includes an excellent My Friend, My Friend into Dog Face Boy into Runaway Jim segment to close. Set 2 has a spectacular David Bowie segueing into Take Me to the River and segueing back into David Bowie. And, you know, really, this is a show I feel like a lot of our fans, a lot of our listeners, and I know for us, are a little bit unfamiliar with. And the fact that this show is overlooked in this overall tour really is one of those examples that says more about the tour than the show itself. This is just a tour that it's stacked against uh, kind of medium-high-ranked shows. Um, it's a very rock-solid show and a perfect example of where Fish was in mid-November 1995. So let's go ahead and listen to a little bit of this Mike song here from Winston-Salem, 112195.
All right. I hope that you guys enjoyed that segment of the 1121-1995 Mike song. Thank you, Wolf Guitar, once again for suggesting that. So as we were listening to this jam, we really kind of got, uh, you know, we were started really thinking about um, bliss jams and really these melodic jams that come from the ether and feel like they're kind of plucked out and, uh, you know, delivered perfectly um, to us. And, and this jam just sounds composed in a lot of ways, sounds like something that could have been translated later into a song. So we started kind of thinking of songs like this, and it really kind of started me thinking about uh, the style of music that Trey was playing in, specifically in the summer of 2011, when he was listening to a specific guitarist from the band Beach House, guitarist Alex Scali. So we picked the song Zebra off of uh, Beach House's 2010 album, Teen Dream. And this song is the opening track off of their third album. Uh, it's also their definitive album at this point. It's a, and Zebra itself is a blisteringly clear song, uh, and it's a blisteringly clear start to an album that I would say is one of my top 10 albums of this decade. Uh, thematically, it's really the perfect intro to De- Teen Dream as Alex Scali's guitar and Victoria Legrand's voice usher, usher in, the rec- uh, in the album. Um, as a side note, as I mentioned, Trey kind of channeled this guitar style in 2011. If you listen to The Waves from May 27th, 2011, the tour opener from Bethel, it's heavily, heavily inspired by this song. Uh, what do we have next, Dave? Next, we have He Would Have Laughed by Deer Hunter. This is the closing track off of Deer Hunter's fifth album, Halcyon Digest, probably their definitive album to this point. Another one awesome. of my top ten albums of the decade. Yeah. I mean, I also completely love this album. The song Desire Lines in particular, I am totally over the moon for. But this song was dedicated to the recently deceased punk rocker Jay Raytard. And uh, thematically, it works much like um, the Woka song One Sunday Morning and that it's all about the repetitive guitar line and the cyclical lyrics. It's a brilliant way to close a masterpiece album. Which brings us to Animal Collective's What Would I Want Sky, which came off of their Fall Be Kind uh, EP that came out in, I believe, November of 2009. This was the follow-up to their most anticipated and probably most popular album, Meriwether Post Pavilion. Um, They re-entered the studio in August of 2009 on kind of a creative high to see what they could do. And this album, this EP itself, really works as a perfect little coda to Meriwether Post. And this song, What Would I Want, Sky, is really the standout track from it. Uh, This is of note, the first song to use a licensed Grateful Dead sample. They used Unbroken Chain here. And particularly, they loop Phil Lesh's voice over and over. So if you ever had a burning desire to hear what that sounds like. <laughs> um, and I would personally say about this song, aside from My Girls, uh, this has to be the happiest and prettiest Animal Collective song ever. Um, what do you I'd say? I'd say I don't think it's happier than Brother Sport. Okay. Okay, that would definitely be uh, in contention for it. <laughs> but a nonetheless excellent song by Animal Collective uh, and one of kind of their last really standout pieces so thus far in their career. I would say that was the last standout piece of their career. I, I was being nice, but yes, I yeah. agree with you completely. I can't take anything they've done since then. I can't even with most of the recent Animal Collective work. But anyway, 
<laughs> the next song that we have on this playlist is called Good Song by Blur. And this is off of Blur's seventh studio album called Think Tank. And Think Tank kind of really picked up on the experimentation from 1999's 13 album, moved the band in a much more electronic, dystopian zone. And probably the closest Blur actually came to sounding like Radiohead. And this is proof that they could still be functional, even really put out one of their best records without founding guitarist Graham Coxon, who was not in this version of Blur. And this is really kind of a testament to Damon Auburn's artistry. He's not just the cute one who's the front man. He actually had several tricks up his sleeve. And the bass player, Alex James, also really comes into his own on this record. And Think Tank is sort of a loose concept record built around the band's reaction to the war on terror. And Good Song is one of the few bright slash upbeat moments on the album. And finally, we have a track from a relatively unknown young band from Brooklyn, New York named Caveman. The song is In the City off of their self-titled album from 2013. This is really the dreamy peak of their sophomore record. It's here that their lead singer, Matthew Ilanausa, sounds more like Bono than really ever before. And the synths on this song really bring to mind a, a hazy early morning, midsummer uh, kind of wander around New York City. It brings me back to uh, the Baker's Dozen wandering through Brooklyn at like 7.30 in the morning uh, uh, with my son in tow trying to get him to take another nap while I re-listen to long jams from from the night before so um some great songs here hope that you guys go ahead and enjoy this playlist
so moving right along, we had segment number three. This jam is the October 31st, 1998 Wolfman's Brother from Halloween in Vegas. This was uh, given to us by Jed Marcus, who's on Twitter, at J underscore M-A-R-C 79. So as to why this jam, frankly, this is fish at their most terrifying. This is a 30-minute Halloween soundtrack. It sounds like the band has fallen into Hades and may never return. It's one of the most patient jams you've ever played, sort of beginning to sound a little bit like the uh, August 15, 1998 ambient jam from Lemon Wheel and the August 2nd, 2003 Waves. The focus here isn't so much entertainment as it is trying to communicate as a single unit and frankly scare the crap out of anyone in the audience who's on drugs. (laughs) And certainly there's a rumor going around that there might have been uh, some mushrooms consumed backstage prior to set three, resulting in this very loose and very spacey jam and just a three-song set. And frankly, the jam kind of sounds like mushrooms. I would say, you know, from a show standpoint, this is my personal favorite Halloween show. It's got a really excellent set one with a killer sneak and sally into Chalk Dust segment, uh, Mike's Frankie Groove. Set two, I think, is cover album perfection. They not only nail every song on Loaded, but most of the songs on Loaded are played twice as long as they are on the record, and not just because it's fish and it's loose, like there's Defined Jams and Rock and Roll, Lonesome Cowboy Bill, Really amazing stuff. Uh, And set three is my wheelhouse. I love this type of jam, and you guys know me as the ambient portion of Beyond the Pond. Um, And this type of set, the looseness, the space, the wall of sound. There's an excellent YouTube video of this jam, and in it you can see Trey's wearing a Halloween mask during the jam. And at moments like the audience is just completely shell-shocked, nobody's moving, the lights are flailing around, and the band just looks like scientists. It's unbelievable. Um, One other note, you know, having Halloween at the start of the tour, uh, I think really set the tone for this tour in a very unique way. Uh, And much of Fall 98 took on the thematic sound of this jam. It's very spacey, it's very loose, and all of this paved the way for the darkness to really take over come 1999. Just as an aside, I was 19 years old in this date, and I was a little young to go to Vegas, so I saw Percy Hill at the Somerville Theater with Utile Burbridge and Keller Williams instead. Fun show! And I got home, looked at the set list on Fishnet, and said, hmm, I fucked up. (laughs) So on that, let's go ahead and let's play a little bit of the uh, October 19, October 31st, 1998, Wolfman's Brother.
right, I hope that everybody has got their heads put back on after that segment of the October 31st, 1998 Wolfman's Brother. Uh, so in thinking about this jam, the first thing that came to mind was this wall of sonic terror theme. And there are moments in that jam where if you listen to it in the right setting, it just downright creeps you out. So we wanted to pick a couple songs that really worked in the same sort of way for you guys from a thematic sense. I know that fish fans are always craving dark fish. And so here's some dark music for you guys to uh, to uh, latch on to. Uh, the first selection we have is from uh, a band called The Microphones. And the song that we are choosing is called The Glow. Uh, and is the 11-minute peak of their 2000 Masterpiece LP, It Was Hot, We Stayed in the Water. And of note... This uh, became the album title for their follow-up record, which I believe came out in 2003, uh, The Glow Part 2. Is that correct? Yes. All right, all right. Um, the Microphones are one of my favorite bands of the last 20 years. Um, Phil Elvram uh, is the lead for the band. He now uh, records under the title Mount Erie. And this song is really a perfect example of everything he does so well. Uh, it combines noise, very weird me- melodies, very mysterious lyrics, and extended effects-laden passages of ambient wall of sound and noise. Um, he's one of my favorite artists who is currently making music, and he is uh, um, just mind-blowing in his creativity and his way to really restructure what it means to write a rock song. Um, the next selection we have is from another one of my favorite artists here over the last 15 years, Flying Lotus. And the song that we are going to select is Sultan's Request. So simply put, and we've said this about a number of artists, and we really mean it when we say this. If you're a Fish fan and you haven't heard Flying Lotus, if you haven't heard Cosmogramma, Until the Quiet Comes, or You're Dead, his last three records, just please stop right now, pause the podcast, go listen. Flying Lotus is a genius. His sonic landscapes and irregular rhythmic constructions are tailor-made for Fish fans. Um, this song, Sultan's Request, comes off of his 2012 record, Until the Quiet Comes, and it's a dreamlike journey, much like the 103198 Wolfman's. Um, albeit, this has a few more payoffs built within, and midway through the record is this song, Sultan's Request, which is a haunting, ghostly moment where the album decides to descend further down the rabbit hole. The song features a square wave bass line, very tense synths, and abstract transitions from the low end to the high register. It's a wild, really bizarre song. Kind of sounds like that 13 to 15 minute mark of the, uh, of, of the Halloween Wolfmans that we just listened to. Uh, what do we have next, Dave? I completely co-sign on Flying Lotus. And also worth noting is that the live show has a light show, light and sound that can rival Chris Kuroda on his best day. So... What we have next is a song called Breadcrumb Trail by the band Slint. This is the opening track on their 1991 album Spiderland, a classic, very spooky post-rock album that was criminally underappreciated in its day. It is properly revered now. This is one of those records that didn't make much of a dent when it came out, but there was a recent remaster. There was a documentary about it. I think the band got back together just to play the album in its entirety. You know, it's one of those records like, um, say, for example, Dennis Wilson's Pacific Ocean Blue or Talk Talk Spirit of Eden that 
critically savage. And then maybe 15, 20 years down the line, people open their eyes and say, oh, we screwed up. So with this album and song, you get the Dead of Night ambience, uh, Dead of Night ambience anchored by spoken word vocals, intermittent bursts of noise, and production values that sound similar to those of Steve Albini, who actually produced the first record. But I only just realized that he did not produce the second one, despite they really have the Albini drum sound. Um, it's an often terrifying sound, whisper to a scream dynamics. I wouldn't listen to it in the dark. And you can really see here's where the band Mogwai came from. So moving forward, you want to get weird? Let's get weird. The next song we have picked out is Star Sailor by Tim Buckley, Jeff Buckley's dad. He started out as a somewhat maudlin folky singing about hobos. He progressed to a psychedelic jazz folky and kind of ended as a very unfunky lover man type figure. And then unfortunately he died at age of 28. He was way too far into his own head and never more so than on here. You want a really nightmarish track that we would not recommend listening to under the influence. Here you go. We do highly recommend, however, David Brown's book, Dream Brother. If you want to learn a lot more about Tim Buckley, as well as his equally doomed son, Jeff Buckley. It covers both of them. So moving on to another equally scary song, what do we got? All right, so the last selection we have here is from um, an artist who has been pretty much revered by, I would say, a number of uh, big pillar artists for Beyond the Pond. Uh, I believe at one point Radiohead said that they would not be making music as a band if it were not for this man's music. Uh, we're talking about Scott Walker here, formerly of the Walker Brothers, and a uh, solo artist from the late 1960s. Um, we're going to talk about the song Jesse off of Scott Walker's 2006 record, The Drift. This was Walker's 13th album. Uh, this was his first record in over a decade, his first since Tilt in 1995, and his first since 1984's Climate of Hunter. This album, The Drift, continues Walker's dive into the murky, textural-driven avant-garde music that was really established on Tilt, and this album is part two in his trilogy, beginning with Tilt, continuing with The Drift, and ending with 2012's Bish Bosh. So Jesse really aligns with the overall themes of the record. Genocide, 9-11, war, and terror, a lot of things that were going on here in the late 90s, mid 2000s, um, as well as uh, the still stillbirth of Elvis Presley's twin brother, Jesse. Um, so it's a very dark, very haunting song. Um, I don't know if I would say that I hope you guys enjoy this uh, playlist that we have here for the 1031 uh, 98 Wolfmans, but I definitely hope that it kind of strikes a chord for you, for any of you guys that really enjoy kind of dark, haunting, and ominous music.
Okay, so for our final jam segment, I'm going to talk about the February 26, 2003 MoMA dance from Worcester, Massachusetts. This was selected by Colby Pacheco. It's like on Twitter at Mobile Checo. So M O B I L E C H E C O. As for why this jam, it's really one of the most unique versions of the MoMA dance. It kind of the jam portion sounds like a lo-fi indie rock strut. It's not unlike the kind of dance music that uh, James Murphy's LCD sound system mastered from 2005 to 2010. This jam is all about the staccato groove that Fish and Gordo lay down, giving Paige and Trey really ample room to play around with the bouncing melody. Yeah, and this uh, song came midway through a legendary first set from February 26, 2003 in Worcester, Mass., this was the band's first performance there since 11 1998 And here they performed a song from each of their hiatus side projects. You had Clone from Mike and Leo. You had Drifting from Trey's uh, uh, Trey Anastasio band. You had Fish's Blue Skies from Pork Tornado. And you had Final Flight from Vita Blue for Paige McConnell. The set opens with Yem, closes with a phenomenal and extremely underrated maze. And uh, you cannot be faulted for overlooking this MoMA dance because of all that in set one. But uh, no more, no more. This is an absolutely peak early 2.0 jam. Uh, Just of note, set two from this show features a killer 20-minute stash opener, a ghost that segues into Lowrider, which segues into Makasupa Policeman, which segues into Yamar. And then a very unique and quite excellent Waves into Caspian segueing into Frankenstein fourth quarter. It's really an all-around excellent show. Very unique 2.0 show. I'd highly recommend checking out if you haven't listened in some years. It's just another stellar February 2003 show to make me even more angry about only attending the BB King show. (laughs) All right, let's listen to it.
So kind of uh, in thinking about this jam, you know, we were kind of thinking about somewhat like staccato jamming, laid back bands that had some rhythm, some syncopation, but you know, at the same time had a good level of uh, goofiness because that's certainly what the moment dance, what the jam would seem to imply in this case. So the first one we have is the song Anvil Everything by White Denim. It's a band I'm guessing several of you are to be pretty familiar with. This song is taken from White Denim's D album, which I think is probably the closest thing you'll get to a Fish studio album that isn't actually Fish. They've been through a lot of lineup changes. The live show these days is still killer, but this was um, back from the era when they had uh, Josh Block and Austin Jenkins on drums and second guitar. Now they've kind of they've left the band and gone on to be sort of like a rhythm section for hire. I know they played on the latest Nicole Atkins record. They play with, uh, with Leon Bridges, among other things. So White Denim, not quite a jam band, but they're spirited like one. And this song has a very staccato midsection that kind of sounds like it's two time signatures at once and the inner workings of a grandfather clock. It's very intricate, much like the MoMA jam. And you should definitely check out White Denim in its latest incarnation because they have a drummer who plays, I think, like a four-piece kit and probably hits a snare drum harder than anybody I've ever seen hit a snare drum in my life. They are still a fantastic live band. And this brings us to... So the next song we have is from a massive indie rock collective, Broken Social Scene, and the song we've selected here is 7-4 Shoreline. This, I would argue, is the best track on their follow-up to their 2003 masterpiece, You Forgotten In People. This is off of their 2005 self-titled record. Um, there were a few lineup changes going into this record. Uh, the production is a little bit sleeker. Uh, it 
uh, no longer sounds like kind of a cacophonous, uh, you know, not so much of a wall of sound, but just like a lot of instruments and a lot of ideas kind of plucking their way in and out of each and every song. This one kind of flows a little bit better. Um, this is probably, though, the closest track, 7-4 Shoreline, to something that you would have heard on You Forgotten in People. Um, but this has a sludgy, bass-driven groove that literally makes you bob your head and shake your tail without any effort. Um, it's a fantastic track to follow up to uh, the MoMA dance. And you know, from a humor standpoint, I mean, Broken Social Scene is a band that, in some cases, can be argued takes themselves far too seriously, and that is uh, funny in and of itself. But an absolutely massive indie rock collective that wears its heart on its sleeve. Um, they are just uh, they're they're a great band that grew over uh, throughout the the two uh, thousands and uh, actually put out a really excellent record that was unexpected uh, last year. Hug of Thunder. Um, yeah, this song has got a lot of musicians, a lot of instruments. Kind of chugs along, you know, kind of like a big pleasant wall of sound. Not kind of like the war on drugs. Not Drink. Kind of like the drugs at all, at all. Um, <laughs> the follow-up to this that we've got is uh, Spoon and their song written in reverse off of their uh, devi- divisive 2010 LP, Transference. Um, this is probably the most Spoon-like song on the record, and it has a really ramshackled bar band groove that defines the best of Spoon while still retaining a professional sheen that avoids sounding overproduced somehow. Um, in the spirit of the album, this song's like a live cut in how loose and ramshackled it really is. Um, and this is a record of note. I, I This was a record that I had a hard time with in 2010, um, but has grown on me quite a bit in recent years. And uh, I would say for anyone who gave this one or two listens in the early winter of 2010 and then kind of moved on from it, um, if you liked They Want My Soul, if you liked um, uh, their 2017 record, which I'm blanking on the title of right now. Uh, Hot, Hot Thoughts. Hot Thoughts, uh, yeah. Uh, if you liked those two records, I would say definitely go back and revisit Transference. Um, it's just an interesting sidestep for the band and really kind of showcased how they uh, were able to continue their career following their excellent early uh, 2000s peak. Yeah, time has been very kind of transference. It was yeah. a bit of a shock coming after the uh, very compact, produced, well-put-together Ga 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 Ga, which is probably still my favorite Spoon album. Transference sound initially half-baked, but it really has aged very, very well. In fact, I might even like it more than the two Spoon albums that came after it. So going forward, the next song we have is 3,000 Flowers by Destroyer. Destroyer is the gnome de rock of Dan Behar. He's the wacky dude who came to fame as sort of an honorary member of the new pornographers, usually contributes about three songs, an album, sometimes shows up with them on stage live, usually toting a beer in each hand. And he's an amazing solo artist in his own right. This is a wordy, amazingly catchy rock song off of the album called Rubies that really showcases him as a talented goofball. It's generally between Destroyer's Rubies and the album Kaput, which usually fight it out for the title of the, the best Destroyer album. I love them both, depending on the mood that I'm in. But this is 
certainly both uh, an album and a band worth checking out, which leads us to... We go back to indie rock roots here uh, with the Kinks, and we're going to talk about the song Starstruck, which is the first single off their historically important rock concept album about pastoral, pastoral bliss and nostalgia. The Kinks are the Village Green Preservation Society. Uh, notably, this song Starstruck, Starstruck only charted in the Netherlands. This was an album that was a commercial failure, even though it is a critical success and really inspired a ton of uh, indie rock albums that would come uh, to follow. This is a very fun, bouncy melody. It's got a great rhythm. One could argue that this song uh, all but predicted modern-day indie rock. I would definitely argue that. It definitely has the um, kind of backbone of a lot of the songs that we've played here. And for me, sounds a ton like the Moma Dance from uh, 
I've seen it in your eyes I've seen you blankly stare And I wanna show you how I love you But there's nothing there to this fun episode. I hope that you guys enjoyed it as much as we did. Uh, this was great to hear from some of the listeners, some of the jams they wanted to hear, and I hope that you guys like what we spun off here. Um, we think that we'll probably do another one of these episodes here in the next couple of months, so please start feeding us uh, recommendations. And we want to thank, once again, um, Matt Burnham at The Real Burnham, as well as uh, Wolf Guitar at Wolf Guitar as well as uh, Jed Marcus at J underscore Mark 79. And finally, Colby Pacheco at Mobile, uh, Mobile Chaco 
for your recommendations. And what we heard from here was the uh, 611-94 Yim, the 1125-1995 Mike song, as well as the 1031-1998 Wolfman's Brother, and finally the uh, 226-2003 Moma Dance. And rather than break down all the songs that we just listened to, we will be posting about these on Twitter as well as on our blog, and all of them will be included in our Spotify podcast playlist that's coming out here uh, along with this episode. So just a reminder, we're on social media, on Twitter, at underscore beyond the pond, one word. Right now we've got a Medium page, medium.com slash beyond the pond. And on Spotify, playlist is the Beyond the Pond podcast songs. And really we want to thank you guys so much for listening. As a reminder, Beyond the Pond is a proud to be a part of the Osiris podcasting family. Osiris is a growing community of music and culture podcasts, connecting music fans like you with conversation, commentary, and music. Check out OsirisPod.com to check out our family of podcasts. Osiris partners with Relics Magazine. Check out Relics.com for music news. And as you guys know by now, our publishing structure, every other Tuesday, Tuesdays have no feel. So you should go deep dive and you should go beyond the pond. Um, Keep an eye out for our upcoming episode following this. We've got a great guest that's coming on board and we're doing a really unique deep dive into a uh, um, really kind of interesting moment in Fish's career. And we've got a great episode lined up for that as well. So in closing, I'm David Goldstein. I am Brian Brinkman. And come back with us in two weeks when we will join hands. We will tell you not to collude with Russia. And we will all try our best to go beyond the pond. Osiris.